0: Let your snacks be heard. Just go to frito com to vote and enter for a chance to win. No purchase necessary. Sweepstakes ends April 3rd, 2023. Void but prohibited. Here's worth of snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips. See
1: official rules at frito What's up, buds? What's up,
0: It's 2018 Stanley Cup champions. It's not a dream. It's not a desert mirage.
1: It's Lord Stanley. And he is coming to Washington. Welcome back to J. Rick Radio. I'm your host, Greg Young. And today uh, we got a three-man call because uh we have Corey Snyder in the building. And uh, I'm here with, with Corey and Adams. So, uh cory we'll start with the guest first uh how, how have you been doing today
2: i've been doing fine staying busy catching up on a lot of the teams i didn't watch much of in october
1: yeah oh, that makes sense that makes sense and uh, hopefully we'll get uh we'll get we'll get some messages from your dog uh very i mean they're very important you know so we have uh we have a high uh, high dog tolerance here on draper's rick radio so uh, so, so uh, oh they're oh perfect right thank you wow it's almost like i had this planned um all right well so uh string uh, how
0: are you doing Uh, Doing well. Doing well. Doing better than the Caps in the third period of their game against Florida. Yeah.
1: All right. Well, I'm going to toss that right back to you, String, and then, uh, Corey, we'll kind of transition to you from there. But uh, the Caps uh, last night, they were cruising along. They were uh, up 4-1 against a uh, dominant Florida Panthers team. And then everything went wrong at once, and uh, they proceeded to... Give up three goals, get outshot, I think, about like 28 or something insane like that. And uh, then bl- give up four goals to not even get a point out of the game. So, String, kind of what did you see in the game and kind of what went wrong for the Caps there?
0: Um, Well, you know, the Capitals started well and they got they got some. Somewhat lucky goals, I'd say. I mean, McMichael bouncing the the puck off of uh, Bobrovsky's back. I thought it was fortunate. Great idea, but you know, how often does that work out? Um, and, and and then they played against a you know the Panthers showed up in the third period. I mean, this is a team that's um, near the top of the NHL, um, <laughs> 33 points, 12 and one at home. Um, it, it's just kind of tough. Uh, you know, the, the Capitals were due to, for for a bad period. I mean. I'm not reading into it too much. Um, granted, it was one of the worst periods I think they've had in in a couple of years, but um, I mean well, it's going to happen, especially with with the with an aging core that's had to play a lot of minutes with uh, their entire second line uh, being out for an extended period of time.
1: Yeah, yeah, and uh, I guess I guess Corey, you watch a lot of hockey, so I'm gonna give you a uh, the unenviable task of giving Capital Sands. I think I saw some. Uh, rather panicked reactions uh to the to the loss which is uh i think understandable when you watch 20 minutes of absolute frustration but also maybe he doesn't fit super well with like way the capitals have played this year and also i think the other thing that's worth knowing and i'm sure you can kind of elaborate on this is that teams blow leads sometimes that's just kind of the way hockey works sometimes so i don't know like Should should Capitals say I'm gonna I'm gonna ask an absurd hypothetical like uh, an absurd question and uh, I think you can give an appropriately absurd response. Should the Capitals panic based on the results of one bad period against the Florida Panthers, one of the better teams in hockey?
2: I mean, I (laughs) would say they need to panic. I mean, I guess you could be worried about it if you're thinking about hockey in May or whatever, but I don't know. That's kind of what everyone except Tampa Bay Lightning fans are worried about hockey in May like as far as the team is going to do because that's pretty much like the one team that's the master of locking everybody down when they have a lead but this is kind of just what happens there there's a lot of teams there's just a lot of teams now that are so similar and so close to each other at least like going by what i've watched like there's a lot of teams hovering around in that 50 52 expected goals range a lot of them kind of playing the same way florida is a team that absolutely pounds their opponents when they're down in the third period I don't know. It's kind of a it's kind of a byproduct of like the shot counter in Florida because they do kind of overcount things there. But I did watch that game last night, and that was that was just domination. But Florida's done that to a lot of teams. Like that's just kind of how they play. I mean, I am a little worried about them because they do fall behind a little bit, but they can come back better than most teams. Yeah. And Washington, like I thought, they did an okay job at the road tr- like during the road trip of sort of keeping things under control, considering like the the roster they were working with like in that LA game, they play, they played really well. The Seattle game was kind of a disaster, but against Carolina, that was that that's kind of how a lot of uh, hurricanes games have gone to where it's like they dominate for 20 minutes. Sometimes they get rewarded. Sometimes they don't. And there's just like a three minute stretch where things just go off the rails and they find themselves either tied in a game. They were dominating or down two to one. And they got to climb back. out But <laughs> So I don't don't know what I've been seeing. Hasn't really been too different from like the rest of the league, at least as far as like blowing leads are concerned. And I mean, you look at where they are now. They're a pretty good team in terms of in terms of expected goals. They're not a dominant team, but they're outscoring their problems right now. So I I mean, I think that I think they'll be fine. Like when all is said and
1: done, you know, (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I think they will be too. I mean, they, uh, you know, you, you look at, you know, getting two road games against Carolina and Florida, you know, with, with just a day apart in between the two. And you're like, all right, like you get, you get two points out of four in that you're, you're not, you're not hating your life and, uh, you know, they will, they will move on just fine. But, uh, I guess, I guess Corey kind of, kind of, well, you were on the Capitals depth a little bit. Um, I think that's been something we've all kind of, I'm not going to leave the podcast talking about Alex Ovechkin, although I promise we'll talk about him a little bit, but uh, you know, that's been something that's been really striking. I think in the last week or so has been the Capitals depth actually more than the last week, really pretty much the whole year uh, with them being without a second line and everything. But I, I guess I'm kind of curious, like what do we think about like the organization organizational strength of a team like the Capitals? Because I mean, you look at some of these players like uh you know, Protus or uh, Beck Malenstein, I think, is everyone's kind of favorite example right now of just, you know, guys that kind of just came out of nowhere and maybe are good and at minimum seem to fit really well with what the Capitals are doing. So I don't know. what What is it about Washington? that kind of just keep finding and developing these players. And, uh, you know, you look at other teams and they just kind of seem to struggle when when they have top players go out.
2: Yeah. Who does this remind you of? Yeah. Like, uh... <laughs> Like the whole Mark Donk buzz it thing in Pittsburgh. They just call up anybody and they have like, they have like 15 goals at the end of the year. Yep. But yeah, like this is kind of just what Washington does. They just find guys like some of them are, some of them you kind of expect it from like Connor McMichael was a pretty high pick. He's really young and he's had, a he's had like a really good like rookie under the radar season. Like he doesn't have a goals like Lucas Raymond or some of the other guys. But he's really good, and I think he could be like a not a Calder pick, but like low in the. But he might get some votes if he keeps it up. But I don't know. I guess it could just be like the environment they're walking into, which even then I'm not sure of, because they're playing with like Nick Dowd as their or Lars Eller as like their second most experienced center right now.
1: Yeah. <laughs> so
2: like I don't I don't know what it is, but you look at the players they have, it's like. Kuznetsov is, I mean, Kuznetsov is a top-line player. Lars Eller, very good player. Nick Dowd, like a fourth-liner, but a very good fourth-liner. Like, these guys are totally walking into, they're not, like, walking into the NHL, like, totally out of their league. They have guys they can kind of lean on and rely on. Like, sometimes Oshie's healthy, sometimes he's not. Uh, <clears throat> like, like Ovechkin, Wilson, like, all the guys, that they kind of just can lean on people. But I think just Washington does a really good job of just insulating these guys so they can kind of find their way one way or another. It's like uh, it's like that kid they called it. They're really I I get these two guys. I get Leeson and Protus mixed up.
1: Yeah. Protus is the really big one that's been playing with Ovechkin. Although I guess they're both really big. But Protus Protus has been on the top line.
2: Yeah. I I was going to say the really tall guy, but they're both really (laughs)
1: <laughs> it's like, I don't know. Really like
2: <laughs> It's interesting because like I watch the guy, I'm like, this guy can't really move, but he's in the right spot usually to kind of make a quick bump pass to uh, Wilson or Ovechkin, or he's like behind the net to kind of win a puck battle and get the puck to the point. So like their defenseman kind of cycle down and do their thing, which they've been doing a lot of this year. I think they've been kind of getting more comfortable with that, but that's another conversation. Yeah. I don't know. It's just uh, kind of just the system they're walking into. They have, they're set up in a place where they're not really like kind of they, they just they just don't look lost, you know? Yeah. Like, they're not dominating games, but like they can kind of find their niche. Like Curtis has been a pretty good defensive player, and he's been he's been playing Kuznetsov spot on the power play and kind of taking up space down low to free up some. Like I was watching the I was watching the uh, Montreal game from last week and it's just interesting how these guys just kind of find a way to fit in, even if they're not like directly impacting the play. Cause uh, there's that goal Carlson scored in the power play where he had like a million feet of room to just walk into a shot. Yep. <laughs> Kuznetsov spot down low and because uh, Kuznetsov had the puck on the right wall and Protus just went to the front of the net and took a hab there with him. And the other, the other guy, I think it was Paquette had a stick in the lane and that just left a million feet open for Carlson to just walk into a shot and blast when he's like one of the few guys that can score from there. So I don't know. These guys just seem to know what they're doing when they get called up. Like they understand their assignments. They don't look lost. They have guys they can lean on. So I think it goes a long way just having the top of your roster set. So you're not just throwing young kids into the fire.
1: Yeah. And I mean, string, I think if you kind of look at the caps uh, from a kind of broader standpoint too, they, uh, I like they seem to do well in terms of drafting and developing, right? Like uh, you look at cap's first-round picks, and yeah, like they've missed on a couple, you know. But I think they have a uh, you know pretty good track record of either developing guys that can you know slot into the lineup, or you know being able to develop guys that then trade them for other guys that can slot into the lineup. So I don't know. It seems like uh, string they they've they, they've done well, I think, from an organizational standpoint in terms of developing these kind of players. No.
0: Uh, yeah, I mean, we, we for years have kind of touted the Capitals and how they're able to develop young players, and I think we're we're seeing rewards for that now. Um, and it's not the flashy guys, right? The Capitals haven't had a lot of flashy top-tier picks, like a Connor McMichael, um, over the last few years, or, or not how they were doing them in the early 2000s, right, uh, or early 2010s. The Capitals went went years and years where they would have that kind of late first round draft pick and get, you know, Marcus Johansson, Evgeny Kuznetsov, Burakovsky, an earlier pick, Jacob Vrana. And, you know, now we're kind of seeing these depth guys that are able to play up in the lineup, but not necessarily with that skill set contribute. And and that's really nice to see. Um, For a long time, the Capitals talked about how they wanted to have an organizational mentality, inclusive of Hershey, where, you know, they played similar styles, similar systems. I remember that being a conversation that took place a lot during Barry Trotz's introduction. Um, to be frank, I don't really know if that's still the case, um, but it certainly looks that way given how these guys from Hershey have been able to slide into the lineup and uh, be effective immediately.
1: Yeah, and it, it, it's interesting, you know, because I think it, I think sometimes as a fan, you can kind of just look at, like, the AHL team's record or something, right? And you could be, oh, well, they're really good, so that's got to be a good sign of our future. But I think that can be maybe an overly simplistic way to view it because, I, you know, I think, like, like it or not, you know, and I'm guessing some of the teams that have AHL teams probably don't like this very much, but from the capital standpoint, they need the Hershey Bears to be developing talent for the Washington Capitals right? That is the job of the Hershey Bears. And, you know, so I think if sometimes you've seen in previous years, the Capitals kind of, or the Hershey Bears in particular, kind of play older players to win games. And, you know, that there's obviously a difference there between what the Capitals need and what the Hershey Bears need. So I think it's definitely been interesting that I think the last few years, it seems like they've I I know that they've made some changes to Hershey and uh, I think it seems you're starting to maybe see the ramifications of that. And uh, Corey, speaking of one guy who was a Hershey bear briefly for a year uh, and who has come up to Washington and really dominated. uh, I know you wanted to talk about Connor McMichael. So uh, let's talk about Connor McMichael. I think that I know before we had started talking uh, before we hit record that I had said that he maybe wasn't the kind of, I mean, he's been great, and he wasn't the kind of great that I thought he would be. He's been a lot, I think, more physical. I think he's been, I expected a pure sniper kind of guy, but actually you look at most of his goals, and uh, they're not snipery goals. They're kind of ugly goals up front, and it's definitely been, uh, he's an interesting guy to watch because I think the, you know, the underlying numbers say one thing, too, and you know, I think his play kind of speaks to that, but kind of what are you seeing with Connor McMichael this year?
2: Yeah, there's always something to be said about a prospect that doesn't have to lead the charge on his line, or just a guy you call up and he's an NHLer right then and there. Because I feel like it with a lot of these kids, sometimes it takes a while for them to really get their feet set and like kind of stick in the NHL. With McMichael, he just looked like he belonged from the beginning. They had him on a really good line with Will, uh, with uh, Oshie and Mantha, I think it was in October, and he was just a uh, He was like an excellent third wheel on that line he was making plays along the wall to get them space off the rush he was camped out like he was doing stuff like kept being camped out of the blue line to create easy entries for them so they can kind of get set up and he's just uh i don't know he just gets it like he just knows how to read off his line mates well he can play really any role because he doesn't really need to be like uh he doesn't need to be a star, a guy who has the puck all the time to be effective. He can just do a lot of the simple things, like go to the net and make short passes to like a, to the more skilled line mates, and he's just done a really good job of that. Like he said, he's been really good about getting to the net and kind of just getting those, like whether it's like a fluky goal or just uh, or just uh, like a screen or a tip or something. Like he just kind of like he just kind of really knows like like he just he just looks. Like he doesn't look lost out there. He just look like he just definitely looks like he belongs.
1: Yeah, I think your dog agrees with you.
2: <laughs> yeah, kind of go like I don't know, like it's like what we talked about at the beginning of the year. There's always a guy or two on the Caps that just kind of keeps the window open. And like it was Burakovsky and it was Verana a few years ago. And I was like, oh, do they have a guy like that? It, like it might be Connor McMichael because he's probably the, guy with the highest ceiling. And lo and, behold, he's, lo and behold, he's an NHLer right now at, like, 20 years old. Which, like, he might not be a star yet, but what he's doing now is definitely, like, a good sign of what he can be, like, when he gets some more minutes and some more responsibility. Like, maybe he is the guy that can maybe take over for, maybe take over for Backstrom or Kuznetsov, like, in a few years. Which yeah. is, I mean, obviously not going to be as good as Nicholas Backstrom, because, like, that's a Hall of Famer we're talking about here. But, <laughs> Definitely is like the 1A, 1B, C for or center for them soon.
1: If he means that Nicholas Backstrom can do 20% less than that is, that is, uh, that is indeed a valuable player now.
2: Yeah. And also, I mean, I do like that he can kind of place both center and wing and not just be totally lost out of his way. Cause like sometimes I think that's overblown cause everything is just so F1, F2 now when you get into the offensive zone, but. They've moved him around a lot and he really hasn't seen his play dip. And I know a lot of players when they get moved up, it's like when they get moved to center, they're like overly concerned about where they need to be in the defensive zone. And like they struggle a little and they kind of struggle a little bit with that. But with him, it's like, really, he hasn't he really hasn't seen his play dip at all, regardless of where he's played
1: yeah no it's it's uh it's definitely definitely been interesting to kind of watch him and uh string have there been any other kind of rookies that have caught your eye? I know at some point I'm gonna ask Corey about uh fairivari but anyone anyone kind of kind of caught caught your eye has been oh you know that that, that yet another capital that seems they seem to develop
0: um, let me think about that for a second i mean ferivari's a, a pretty clear one uh, I thought he's been good um to be to be honest the other guys I think they played well, but they're not really standing out to me at, at this point in time as more than kind of a stopgap. Um, you know, I mean Protoss has looked good and I, I think there's potential there, but you know, there's there's nobody that's jumping out to me as a hey, it's definitely time to, to make sure that these guys are sticking around at the lineup. Um as much as it seems like much of the fan base is ready to to move on from Carl Haglin. Uh, um, <laughs> I, i'm not quite Peter sure Peter Laviolette
1: is not ready to move on
0: no no i've yeah. got a carl Haglin is uh, stapled to the bench rather than the press box
1: <laughs> yeah cory I, I heard you go uh, yeah uh so uh i don't know is there is there um uh, you know actually let, let's let's use this and then if you want to say anything about carl Haglin, you are more than welcome to although uh my, my thoughts about Carl Hagelin are are not particularly voluminous at this point. But uh, I, I know we've we we been DMing a little bit about Martin Ferravari and kind of the Capitals' defense. And I, I know in years past we've talked about how LaViolette has used the Capitals' defensemen and how they're, you know, very kind of aggressive on forecheck and kind of pinching and everything like that. And I guess I, I, it seems like Ferravari has kind of fit well into what LaViolette wants his defensemen to do, no?
2: Yeah, he does, especially when it comes to like defending entries. He's always just kind of stapled to like 2 feet within the blue line. And uh, I thought he struggled a little bit like early in the season, a few guys walked around him, but like as the year went on, as the year went on, he got way more comfortable just kind of playing aggressive and high in the zone. And he's been really good at like using his stick to deny entries and just disrupt plays in general and uh, they always want like i feel like they always want like a very basic by the books defenseman with john carlson and i think he's i think he's a really good compliment to him because like carlson he's like like he has a lot of his issues especially in the defensive zone but one of the things he is really good at is just like turning loose pucks into transition chances yes. which is it's like it's very feast or famine type of defense which is why his numbers are kind of scattered but Faravari is a guy who can kind of create a lot more loose pucks for him. So kind of so they can the Caps can kind of go work on offense a little bit.
1: It's definitely a better fit than Brendan Dillon,
2: right? Yeah, I think so. I mean, I think he's what Brendan Dillon used to be like a few years ago. Like when the Sharks when the Sharks had him, he was kind of Brent Burns's uh, uh, stabilizer, if you want to call it that. But he is like. Uh, but yeah, he is. Pretty much like your basic. I don't want to say shutdown defenseman, but, or defensive defenseman, just because I think it's kind of an oxymoron. moron, but he's a very, like, he's very by the books and he's just there to kind of disrupt and stop plays and, like, teams need that. Sure. I mean, I will say, though, I do think, what I do worry about with him is that he is very, he is very by the books. Like, he knows what to do. He understands, like, the assignments, but he also kind of just sticks to it. Like, it, like, wow. uh, there was that Bennett chance last night where he was, like, wide open. Florida got, like, three shots out of it. And yeah. I think the Caps are – I don't know if they were playing man exactly because I'm usually wrong with this. But he's following uh, – Florida had a cycle going with a bunch of defensemen jumping in. And Farabari's following Gustav Forsling to the blue line while uh, Wilson uh, Wilson gets gets kind of crossed up. And he doesn't really know where to – he didn't really know, like, who to follow – and that left Bennett wide open. So I think he could do a little better, just kind of reading, reading and reacting of the play instead of just following like whatever the system is. Because like, I mean, that that'll probably just come with time because he's still pretty young. But he's doing what the Caps need him to do right now.
1: Yeah, and uh, that makes sense. And uh, String. Speaking of two uh, <laughs> Capitals defensemen that are doing what they need to do right now, uh, if you don't start talking about how good Dmitri Orlov and Nick Jensen is, I will start doing it. But I'm the host, so I'll let you do it. Uh, how? how what, what have you been seeing out of those two?
0: Well, JP did uh, kind of tweet out that, that kind of two of the best offensive defensemen this year from a statistical point of view. And uh, Dmitri Orlov, lo and behold, yeah. uh, right near the top of the list. Um, I think we all thought it would be Nick Jensen, of course, not not John. <laughs> you mean Nick? Nick? Uh, Nick? Nick? Uh, Norris Jensen, of course. Right? Exactly. But very. Uh, it's been a great year for Dmitry Orlov. I mean, um, I've always been a fan of his. Um, I, I just he, he's he's very dependable, and that that frankly, there's there's a lot to be said for that. I mean, he's a guy who um, can. He, he's one of those great traditional two-way defensemen. Um, not afraid to lay the body. Uh, I mean, there's, there's nothing I can say about him that the routine listeners to the show haven't heard already, but, um, a lot to be happy about when when analyzing Dmitry Orlov's play to start the season.
1: Yeah. And, uh, and Corey, I know that, um, I, I, you know, I don't think it was your micro stats that they used, uh, which kind of felt like betrayal, but I know Dom wrote something, uh, recently about, uh, you know, kind of using micro stats as defensemen and, uh, I mean to be again featured pretty highly in there. So I I, I know I've poked around your, your site and uh you know it's it seems like that's always the guy that you know people analytics nerds like me and Microstat and analytics nerds like you seem to say, yeah, that's that's a guy that really kind of drives a lot for the capitals, no?
2: Yeah, that's how it's always been. He's been like it's kind of an extreme comparison, but like in Nashville let have Roman Yossi to kind of like defer to Defer to to get the to get the puck out of the zone and lead and kind of lead the charge if uh they have a defenseman to carry the puck in. And that's what he has been. That's pretty much what he has always been. He's like also allowed John Carlson to play in a more in a more like sheltered one A, one B role because Orloff and like whatever right defenseman they find can just handle the shutdown minutes. It was Niskanen for a long time. Now it's Nick Jensen. And what's interesting is like I've I've kind of changed my uh my tracking of zone exits this year. So it's more based on who retrieves the puck to beat a four check first instead of just getting the puck out of the zone. And uh, Nick Jensen has been really good so far in that. Like he's been excellent at kind of, he's been excellent like about taking hits to make plays, getting like beating four check pressures, getting the puck out of the zone with control. Yes. Like,
1: he was like, good at he, that in detroit too and then it kind of went away from him in dc and then now i think it's it's kind of i think he's i think he's found his comfort
2: yeah he was uh when they were going through that rough transition period like he was probably their best guy for a really long time or not probably like more like one or two years just because it really hasn't been that long since detroit's been yeah. terrible
1: but. <laughs> well, no i remember seeing i mean back in my michigan days i remember seeing him in detroit and thinking yeah you know that's a guy that like that is really, really, really good at one thing, which is getting the puck out of the defensive zone and into the neutral zone. And that sounds overly simplistic, but, I mean, that's a really valuable skill for defensemen to have.
2: Yeah, it's it's interesting, like, when you think of offensive defensemen, because, like, I've kind of been, like, changing my viewpoint of this, because I really, like, the more, like, I've watched games, it's, like, the less I want a defenseman to kind of have the play run through him. I'd rather just have a guy who can just, who can just de- uh, relieve pressure, go back, retrieve pucks, get it out of the zone, make the other team come 200 feet, and lead the offense if he needs to. Cause like, because, like, I, th- I feel like that's just kind of where the game is now. Like, you don't really need, like, a big hulking defenseman to uh, just kill guys in front of the net. And, like, the play is – like, the play for the most part now is, like, on the boards and the corners in the neutral zone. And, like, Jensen is really good at doing – like are really good at controlling that,
1: yeah, yeah, and uh you know I think the uh i think the Vancouver Canucks are an attestation to team to teams that uh when they don't have guys that can do that effectively what can what can happen uh so uh so yeah, um, and uh I guess string the uh the other thing is um i i feel would i would feel remiss without talking about uh the capitals power play and how it's not very good, so uh I don't know, like I've asked j p about this, I've asked different people about this like. What what is what do you think is going on with them? Do you think it's just as simple as they're missing two of their pivotal cogs in Oshi and Backstrom, or do you think there's something else going on? Um, it's a
0: good question. Um, one that if I had a great answer to, um, I wouldn't be talking to you. I'd be getting paid lots of money by, <laughs> by, by the NHL teams. But well,
1: you are you are extremely well compensated doing this podcast, sir. Oh,
0: yes. <laughs> It's a labor of love and nothing's better than getting that sort of compensation. <laughs> but um, I don't know, Greg. I mean, I'm, I, when I, when I watch the Capitals power play right now, it just looks lackluster to me. You know, how many years did we say all oh, the problems because net on the entries, how it's, it's the slingshot. Cause probably playing the best hockey. Uh, that he's played in three years, definitely in three years. I mean, he, 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 he has been, you know, knock on wood, consistently dominant so far. I mean, he he's many nights been the best player on, on the Caps, which is saying something given how well Ovechkin's been playing. So um, I, I'm not sure it's a personnel issue. Um, I, 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 they, just, they just don't look good. I mean, the power play has been kind of falling over, over the last few years. They're no longer kind of that 25% top-tier power play but um i actually don't have a great answer for you what what sort of answer are are you thinking greg
1: um that's a good question you know i think that it you know i look i mean it's i i think I, jp is definitely on to something when he says look like nicholas Backstrom has been one of the great like power play passers of really the last like 10 years or so right and yeah. i think anytime you have a guy like that you know it that's tough to lose and you know, I think that the people that the Capitals have replaced him with haven't been great. I mean, you look at it like right now, they've been insistent on having Protus in the power play. Right. Before that, it was Connor Sherry. And, you know, I think that they I don't know that there's a coherent vision to how to make an effective power play without Nicholas Backstrom. I think is kind of it's kind of where I'm at with it right now. Like, I you know, I think that. But then again, I mean, you're right that the power play was struggling before Nicholas Backstrom was out too. You know, I mean, we've seen a slow erosion kind of over the last five years or so, I would say. Uh, I don't know, Corey, you you watch other teams also. Like, what do what do you think's going on with the Caps right now with that?
2: Yeah, I think a, I think one of the problems right now is that it's kind of just too based on structure, just because they've been doing it the same way for so long. It's yeah. Typical one-three-one setup, and they just kind of plug and place guys into different roles. It's like, oh, we'll just have a righty shot in the slot to replace Oshie. So here's Tom Wilson, here's here's Kuznetsov to replace uh, to replace Backstrom on the right wall. Like, here's
1: not Connor McMichael, and instead Connor Sherry. <laughs> yeah, I was
2: yeah, I, that was interesting. I'm kind of surprised he hasn't really seen much power play time, just because entries are a problem because it's kind of Kuznetsov or nobody. And mm-hmm. i pro- I thought uh. That LaPierre kid might have stayed up because he was actually pretty good at doing that on the power play, at least in the few uh, the few games I tracked when he was there. But I do think there I think there just needs to be more like they need to allow guys to improvise a little more. I think there needs to be more movement because right now, pro, like with Protus and uh, like with Protus and Kuznetsov on that right wall, they don't really move around a lot. Whereas with Backstrom, they wrote they rotate a lot and. Mm-hmm protus is either going to stay behind the net or go to the front of the net and they kind of did the same thing when i think uh I'm trying to remember who was there before protus i think it was connor sherry yeah and like sherry didn't really rotate at all because like sherry's one thing is scoring in front of the net and working in tight spaces and teams kind of know what he's gonna do so i do think there needs to be more if they're gonna do that i think they need to move around a lot more improvise a lot more get out of the one three one setup because like this like Tampa Bay does that a lot. Tampa Bay will kind of, if it's not working, they'll kind of like draw things up in the dirt and just create something up a loose play or just send the puck to the other side of the ice. If uh, there's too much pressure on one side and kind of just go from there because that's going to create openings. Maybe even just go to a more of like, not really dump and chase more of like a four checking power play because in because uh, in the playoffs last year against Carolina, Tampa Bay actually didn't score any goals off of, like any traditional setups. It was all off of broken plays and missed clears by the Hurricanes Sure. and uh, a couple of entries, too, which I think teams need to do more of. But the caps, I don't know why Kuznetsov and the entries just don't work, but for whatever reason, they don't. So.
0: well and
1: it's interesting too because I think like that would fit a, a more kind of four check heavy style that would arguably I think fit more with what Laviolette wants the caps to do at 5 v 5 you no know? so I think it would at least give some consistency to it
2: yeah because like he can do that at five on five I just don't understand why it's never like this isn't really a caps problem it's a problem of like lead wide because teams just don't like ex- except for Dallas here and there like teams just don't don't attack off the rush on the power play. Mostly because like teams are set up at the blue line or rover style, so it's a little tough. But if you get a, if you got four guys standing still there, you might be able to catch a few guys off guard or something. Like the Flyers and some other teams have been using the boards a lot this year to create to create chances on the power play out of nothing. So I do think they need to kind of just break the structure a little bit, go outside the box, maybe attack off the rush more. Definitely try to create more loose pucks and more turnover more turnovers fail clears which easier said than done just because like it's easier said than done because like teams are like so good at penalty killing now except for Vancouver that most pucks just go down the most pucks get out of the zone so yeah like
0: uh
2: when I watched the like when I watched the Islanders last year their power play was just terrible except for the times when bars can kind of just create something out of nothing and maybe that's what Washington needs to do with like with uh, Kuznetsov because he's probably the one guy who's healthy right now that can do that.
1: Yeah. He's the, he's the game breaker kind of there with, with that. Yeah. 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 And I guess, I mean, I, I think we'll, we'll, we'll before break uh we're going to, uh, I'm going to ask Corey and Adam one more question, then we're going to take a break. And then uh, I think Strig is going to, is going to go off to the wilderness here a little bit. And I'm going to talk with Corey about some NHL wide questions, but uh I guess, um, and, uh, corey, i'll start this with you and then we'll we'll get string in here like i want to ask you about the caps top line i know JP has written about this recently that basically their top line has been so good that they've basically produced two side at least their top line at 5v5 of course uh has basically produced the equivalent of two lines that, that's how good uh, particularly i mean we're at like resurgent of getting kuznetsov is a thing now like i guess corey you're the micro stack guy what are you seeing with kuznetsov and do you think it's kind of I mean I know we all want to talk about Ovechkin and how great he is and he is and he's been phenomenal but I guess it, it seems to me like just from watching it you know the the Kuznetsov play and really driving it has really both helped improve him and and really I think resu- not I wouldn't want to say resuscitated because that's not the right word but really you know kind of added an extra boost to Ovechkin's season, no?
2: Yeah, it really has and what's interesting is like I'm looking at his stats now and the main thing is everything he touches turns into a scoring chance, and like he That's doesn't. Pretty good. <laughs> well, like he doesn't have a lot of offense and volume as far as producing shots go. It's just every single thing he had, like over 50% of the shots he produces are scoring chances. Which, I mean, part of that is a little unsustainable, obviously, but there are guys who can do this. And like, I mean, the one guy who did it last year was uh, that Erickson Ekkin, and
1: I mean, in uh, in Minnesota. Oh yeah, he was like weirdly
2: phenomenal at dinner, that. Actually. Yeah, and he was kind of doing that just from being around the net all the time, not allowing anything defensively. Whereas like Kuznetsov is just uh, is just a total wizard in transition, which is he's gotten back to this year, and he's just insanely good about just creating space for himself out of nothing. And for whatever reason, like I swear to God, when he has the puck in the neutral zone, it's like there's a halo around him guys just don't want to hit him. They don't want to go near him because His like
1: skating and puck handle. It's just different. You
2: know what I mean? Well, it's like the second a guy takes a stride at him, he finds a, He finds somebody wide open yeah. and that's how it's been going this year, especially off the rush. Like, in or, that,
1: I mean, even shorthanded, like they, he had a, he had a gorgeous setup. On that the was,
2: yeah, that was absolutely ridiculous. Like he had 10 seconds to skate around in the neutral zone, shorthanded with like, that should not happen in the NHL. <laughs> that happens in the NHL. <laughs> like that was absolutely ridiculous. Like it's the ability to create things like that. And like uh, as far as like creating like the 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 big stat that I that I track that I kind of follow throughout the year is creating is creating chances of zone entries because those are the toughest to kind of create. They're the toughest to create, and they're the hardest to defend. And like, because Netshoff and McMichael have been the two drivers there for Washington this year, and like that goes a long way. If you're getting, especially in games when you're getting outplayed, like a guy who can kind of just draw something up in the dirt and score a goal off the rush, like that's that that's your lifeline, and that's enough to kind of that's enough to win you a lot of games in the regular season.
1: Yeah, and you know, once we once we get to the playoffs you know then it's kind of everything who the hell knows what's going to happen but string like i you know i, I kind of want to want to tie the kuznetsov to ovechkin thing here a little bit i mean like i look at that line and i say wow i mean obviously you know they've had wilson they've had Protus, yada yada but i i look at you know ovechkin's kind of particularly the dominance he's had at 5v5 this year and think wow you know thank goodness we have a resurgence of getting kuznetsov and it might you know if that if work well together, that might get that might get Ovechkin a, lot, a long way to Gretzky, no? Uh,
0: I mean, obviously, anytime you've got a, a center that's creating space and able to hit you with the puck, um, you're going to be more likely to score, right? So, um, especially with Backstrom kind of slowing down a bit, it'd be nice to kind of maybe put Backstrom with some quicker uh, players once he is healthy. And Ovechkin can kind of stay with the guy like Kuznetsov, who is just so nimble on his feet and able to move I mean, the big thing is Kuznetsov's a space creator, and he does that via his skating. Um, Backstrom's able to find you in space um, kind of just with his great passes. But, I mean, I I I think that Ovi's in great shape if Kuznetsov keeps playing like he's playing. Um, I mean, it's shocking that Ovechkin's scoring like he is with a power play that's only clicking at 18%. So, Yeah. Certainly a a good thing for him
1: great agreed all right well with that we're gonna take a quick break on the other side uh i'm gonna i have some uh some uh jack hughes and other related questions for Corey. so uh stay tuned welcome back to j present radio uh i am now here solo with Corey, and uh Corey uh with uh with just the two of us we're gonna talk about some non-cap stuff because uh you know this is uh so so everyone that is uh has their caps fill. You know, we gave it to you for the first uh, 37 minutes, you know, so we're going to talk about some other stuff now. Um, First off, like let's, let's, I mean, you're, you're a Carolina guy. Uh, Carolina's really good again this year. I'm going to sigh. Tony D'Angelo is playing very well this year, but uh, I don't know. Like they're, uh, it seems like Carolina, they're obviously somewhat led by goaltending, but they always seem to drive play this year. They haven't quite driven play to the same extent, although lately they've really picked it up, but I do not know kind of, kind of what do you say about Carolina and do you think ultimately this is the team that's going to probably still win the division this year?
2: Yeah, I don't know if they're going to win the division just cuz things are so tight at the top right now and they've kind of hit a skids they kind of hit the skids a little bit on this Yeah, it was
1: uh, a tough loss to Dallas, huh?
2: Yeah, recent road trips, losing a losing that game in regulation to the to Washington was also kind of tough, but what's different about the team this year is they're scoring at 5 on 5. And that's just been huge. And it's been a bunch of guys doing it. Like Jesper Foss leads the team in five on five goals. Kaka Niemi has five goals. And he was, he was on the quote unquote fourth line for a while. And uh, like, it's not just all Aho this year for one set five on five, but they we're getting bailed out big time by Freddie Anderson for like at least two months because like defensively, this team isn't really as good as a lot of people think they are. They they're, Kind of middle of the pack in terms of like expected goals given up, but they're, but they're only giving up like less than two goals a game at five on five. And most of that is because Freddie Anderson's just been outstanding and he's been making a lot of really difficult saves look really easy. Like, like, especially on plays that go across the seat, like plays that go across seam. It's like, he knows they're coming and he's already there to kind of just square up and take it. Yeah. so that's really been what's put them at the top of the division because like if he was just like ten percent less, I think they're kind of in a dog fight with the Rangers and the caps for first place.. Yeah. But really, the five on five scoring's been the big driver of this team this year, that in goaltending. And the fact that it's all just it's not the Sebastian Ajo show like all the time now at five on five is also a big deal because he's kind of been a lot of his points are on the power play this year, same with Tavo Teravainen and just getting getting all the sec getting just as much secondary scoring as they have from from guys who really didn't produce that much last year and from a rookie and Seth Jarvis is like that's been a big deal
1: yeah they really found something in that Seth. I was I was impressed by him against the cats They, they kind of found something there huh
2: yeah it goes it's like what I said with McMichael it's like a guy just comes up and you can already tell he belongs like he doesn't need to be the star in his line he can just be a third wheel on a top line or a second line, and just fit in fine and do a lot of the uh just do a lot of the tertiary secondary things that help you stick around just winning puck battles, getting to rebounds, which is kind of been his niche, kind of being a support guy on entries and just like feeding off the feeding off the skill that your top line players bring.
1: yeah, no, that makes sense yeah, yeah, yeah. that's uh it's definitely definitely something to kind of keep an eye on yeah they're uh they're they're definitely interesting um. Speaking of interesting things, um, I I think there's been a kind of interesting debate that I've seen on Twitter and in general uh, over the extension for Jack Hughes, because Jack Hughes is someone that, I guess, I and I'm going to try to lay out the terms of, I think, what the debate has been, and feel free to correct me if I get these wrong, and then I'm kind of curious where you end up, because I think you and I end up in slightly different places, but I trust your opinion more than mine. So, Jack Hughes, eight, he gets an eight-year, uh, eight eight-million contract extension by the uh, New Jersey Devils that I think buys out either it's like three to four years of UFA status or something like that. I think it's, it's definitely at least two or three. So um, the, the kind of debate with Jack Hughes at this point is he has, one, been hurt a lot, um, obviously the first overall pick and a very high pedigree, and his underlying stats, particularly last year, were excellent like uniformly excellent but he hasn't really scored yet and you know you look at the contract and you're like okay why 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 do this now why give this kind of term or well I guess less term and more kind of eight million for a guy that just hasn't kind of produced and shown necessarily that he'd drive the top line so I guess I'm kind of curious I think mm-hmm. you could look at this contract and say all right if he develops into the Number one, a center that we all think he can and i think, you know, maybe you say there's like a 70 to 80 percent chance he'll get there. Then this is a great value contract still. But at the same time, you look like there's some there's some RFA years they're buying out that they are probably paying over market for if they had just done a bridge. So I guess I don't know, kind of kind of break down the contract a little kind of where Where do you think the devils are? And, uh, you know, if you if you wouldn't have given this contract, kind of what would you have been at for a reasonable number that he could have ended up at? it was
2: it's an interesting contract to me because if a, if you're paying a guy that much especially when he's only 20 years old usually it's like you know this guy like is amazing it's like austin matthews or something you want to pay him under market value for a guy you know is a star and i guess the devils know jack hughes is a star it's just the points haven't really shown it so i thought they could have gotten him for if they're going to sign him now that is i thought they can get him for like less money because like Let's just say he has an amazing season this year. Like the pucks start going in for him and pucks start going in for him and like his line mates start finishing more. And he's like, say, a 70 point player. Like, I feel like you're still going to pay him about 80 million a year. I mean, yeah. about million a year. Like, what are you? Are you afraid of paying him 10 million or something? So, like, I know it's different now. Like, the Habs just gave Suzuki that big contract, but he was just coming off a playoff run. So that's kind of boosting things there. But, it was it was kind of an odd deal. Like, it's very unprecedented, too, I feel like. Because sure. there hasn't been a guy with this type of point production, this young, who has ever made this much money. Because I asked on Twitter, like, has this really ever happened before? And I got a few answers. Like, Barkoff got a pretty big contract, like, in his second year. But he had 53 points. And he was getting only, like, $6 million. Granted, the cap is higher now. But still, like...
1: That would project still probably around seven mil, not eight for Hughes,
2: huh? Yeah, so like definitely, I I don't want to say they overpay because I think at the end of the day this is just going to be a it's it's a deal where they're probably going to pay fair value unless unless Jack Hughes is like say Patrick Kane two or something this year, which or, like or
1: if he's hurt all the time, which you can't really project. Right?
2: Which like I mean, he's also Hughes is also just a very I mean he's a unicorn. Like if you yeah just watching him and just seeing like. How much the play runs through him, how much he has the puck on his stick when he's out there and just how he's a one man show whenever he's on the ice, it's just that he doesn't have the points like and is that his fault? Is that the line mates fault? I don't really know for sure. Is it because yeah, because
1: I mean, you, you look at it, it's not like he's played with a ton of elite talent. Right. But at the same time, you know, like, like he, Wayne Simmons. And, yeah. yeah, exactly. But I mean, at the same time, you know, like there it's the NHL. It's a capped, parody driven league. Right. You know, like if you're going to pay someone that you're going to probably need them to play with maybe a couple of guys that, you know, you're going to need him to drive a line like that.
2: Yeah, it's just maybe I feel like there there has to be some kind of in-between. But they also had some tough luck last year. Janssen couldn't finish at all. And now Andreas Janssen looks like the player that they traded for. Tomas Tars. Tomas Tars is a very good player. Jesper Bratz, very good player. Yeah,
1: weirdly had an incredible year. <laughs>
2: yeah, he's starting to see his points go up. And Dawson Mercer looks legit. So, like, I guess they're banking on him being the guy well i mean he has been the guy just the points haven't really the points haven't been there and i guess they're banking on the points coming but how many what exactly is the cap on this like i guess i mean if hughes is your franchise guy and you're paying him eight million for the next eight years that's good and i i just it's just kind of a weird time to do it you know and they're just kind of assuming that everything is going to go right so it's just a just an interesting contract. Really, un- like I said, it's unprecedented because really, there hasn't been a guy this young with that type of point production who got this type of contract before. Except maybe, I guess Ryan Nugent Hopkins, but he also had he also had a really good rookie season. Like I think he had fifty something points. So that's also Hughes hasn't produced like that before.
1: No, yeah, you know, it, it kind of reminds me. I think it was uh, was it Darnell Nurse or whatever, right? That the Edmonton gave that huge contract to, and you're like. Why? Why do you have to do this now? You don't. You don't yeah, have even
2: to. well, even then, like Nurse had, I think Nurse let yeah, all. He the, had
1: like a gazillion uh, points, last year. You know? Yeah, <laughs> passing but the puck to Connor McMike or Connor McDavid on the power play. We'll, we'll, we'll do that. Well, th- yeah. that's not totally fair, but
2: uh. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, I guess if Jack Hughes is like the second coming of Patrick Kane, then yeah, this is a steal for New for New Jersey. But I think at most, this is just him. This is just the devil's pain, like fair market value for their future star player, which it's fine. It's just kind of weird.
1: <laughs> to Yeah, do I mean, I guess, I guess the other thing kind of pure hockey analytics aside is maybe you say, look, like, do we – I mean, I, 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 and I guess it doesn't – obviously you wouldn't say that this mattered at all for like a Nathan McKinnon or something, but, you know, if he's going to be our franchise player, do we necessarily want him to feel like he's – you know this incredible value that's underpaid, you know, and all that. I mean, they—I I, I don't know. Like, I, you, you wonder maybe if there's like another kind of consideration like that at play.
2: Yeah, I guess it's also like they—I guess they just don't want to nickel and dime their star player. Which I mean, wow. which I mean, fair. If you can get the if you can get the kid locked up now, then if you can get the guy locked up now for like a decent term, and decent money, then by all means do it instead of like. Potentially lighten this drag into a messy situation in a few months.
1: Yeah, you know, and I mean, I, I think I think you would you would definitely say you'd want to at least buy out a couple of years versus having to give Jack Hughes a bridge, no?
2: Yeah, definitely, because I, I I feel like that was the direction a lot of teams were gonna go with like the Austin Matthews contract and him only getting a few years, and then the AHO offer sheet. That's kind of that's pretty much a bridge deal too. So it's it's interesting, even though, like, again, like, like, I'm not saying like points are everything with Hughes, but like points are what teams usually pay for. Yes.
1: Yeah. You know, and so it's 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 interesting. You know, I think it's, it's I think it's also interesting because of, like you said, kind of what it says about. I mean, like, we, we see these kind of swings, right? I mean, you mentioned it, you know, with, with you know, maybe some of the guys that have gotten shorter bridge deals, you know, that I, I think this is just, there's not anything kind of like this. And I think it's it's interesting about what it says to the Devils, too, because, you know, I, I think if you're the Devils, you can, on one hand, say, look, we have this guy for eight years. We know that he's going to be in the middle of the lineup, assuming he's healthy and all that, you know, which we can't really count for. And that's there's value just inherent in that. But at the same time, you know, if you could have gotten those two million extra and that means a tangibly worse player that he has to play with, then, you know, maybe maybe that doesn't do you any good.
2: Yeah, that's
1: that's that's
2: definitely fair.
1: Yeah. So, all right. Well, okay. Okay. like maybe.
2: I remember the big question, uh, the big question or came hey, into the years, is like, is this like why doesn't Hughes does all these great things? Why does he not have any points? Yes if it was line mates and is also like just a kid still like still kind of figuring out like where he is at his ceiling and i guess the devils they the devils see him like he's their star guy and i guess we'll find out soon
1: yeah (laughs) yeah we'll see it's it's gonna be it's gonna be interesting to see them i think because they're what they're like i think last time i looked three points out of a playoff spot kind of like right on the edge there which I think, you know, it's kind of about where you would have said for them, you know, so, and they have they're, a lot of kind of good, useful little players. Like I, you could definitely see them sneaking into a wild card. And I mean, this has all been without, you know, Hughes. So uh, yeah, also, I, I think they're, they're kind of an interesting team to watch.
2: Yeah. It's also, they don't have a ton of, uh, they don't have a ton of like uh, big decisions to make as far as like who to keep though. Cause they just got Ducky Hamilton for, yeah. uh, for a very, very long time. And they don't have to pay Mercer for a while. Yeah. Uh,
1: and they have Heure locked up at this point too,
2: right? Yeah, they do. Yeah, yeah. so they have their two centers. Yeah. So it's just a matter of like I guess that is a good question for like further down the line. Like just like what exactly is the what's the ceiling of like a core of Heure Hughes Hamilton Hamilton and uh Blackwood? Like yeah. is that a is that a playoff team? Is that a, is that a bubble team? Is that a team that's going to be in the top 3 every year? I yeah. I don't know for sure, but <laughs> did a lot to, Hamilton did a lot to change the complexion in Carolina. So we'll see what he does in New Jersey. Cause right now they're kind of in the same spot. Yeah. Carolina was in the first year they got Hamilton. At least at this point of the year, it's like they're up, they're down. They're not really a dominant team, but they're scoring more goals. They're in the mix. At least they're not completely out of it, but they're not really as good as like maybe their fans hope yet. But still a really young team they have up there if they're figuring things out.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And I think it would, uh, if they could maybe find a uh, taker for some, for some uh, big, big name defenseman contracts that are not uh, Dougie Hamilton, uh, you know, that might, that might kind of clear things up for them a little bit. It's it's kind of a weird roster, you know, right? Like they're not, they have a lot of like, like good talent. And then they have some stuff that's not all that ideal, you know, in their lineup. So I, you know, I don't, I don't know, like, kind of what I what I think about the Devils, and I, I I don't know if the rest of the league even knows what to think about the Devils at this point. They're just kind of an interesting team.
2: No, but they're always really tough to play. Usually, just because they're yeah. such a fast team, they're such a team. They're a team that attacks off the rush like all the time, and I feel like that's just all that's just always tough for teams to keep up with, especially in like the first period of games. Like, it doesn't always like. Like it doesn't always result in anything for them, but it definitely gets teams on their heels a little bit. Be like, whoa, this team is a lot better than we thought they were, especially with the new schedule this year. Like, uh, Minnesota, yeah,
1: I think the Caps had a couple of games against them last year where I think they won like it was like 3-2 or something. And you're like, wow, like I were lucky to get the more goals than they did because they, they were flying up and down the ice, you know, it just didn't always result in goals. For
2: it, yeah, it kind of reminds me of where Florida was a few years ago, like yeah. when like starting to kind of get good. It's like they're not there yet, but I could see them being like uh potentially what Florida is now. Which is like which is like a top team three a uh, a top three team in the conference. Like and nobody really disputes that. So no, I can no. see them becoming no. that in another year or so.
1: Yeah, the uh man the man the top of that uh just to kind of switch over back to Florida and the top that top of the Atlantic division, man, that is a brutal division right now because you know I'd like with i mean you talk about like because I, I the other question i was going to kind of ask you is I'm, I'm curious if anyone else in the east has your eye because right now it seems like uh i much to my my twitter feed chagrin it's kind of the uh, toronto maple Leafs world <laughs> and we're all living in it right now it's, so uh, i don't you know like i mean Man, if you're Boston, that's got to be it's got to be tough, right? Because you got a lot of good games against some some of these really good teams in the top of the division. But uh, I don't know. It, it, uh, is uh, Toronto I, their underlings are are pretty good? Obviously, Jack Campbell has been phenomenal for them. Like, uh, I, I wonder, wonder do, you, do you think they're legit? Do you think that like I mean, I, I think it's folly at this point to say they're a, like a you know for sure like gonna be a second or third round team. I say what you will about their pedigree, but I just think that that's not the way to think about the playoffs. But I don't know, like they're they're really something now,
2: huh? Yeah, there's not really anything swaying me about Toronto, like being this paper tiger or anything. It's like it's what they were the last two years. This this should be a team that we talk about as uh, we talk about as a team that goes deep in the playoffs. You just kind of get they got to get over that hump, and I don't know if it's gonna happen this year or not. But I mean, they're definitely, I mean, I think they're a little better this year just because you got uh, Sandine and Lilygren playing instead of Bogosian. Yeah. Uh they've been getting by with Muzzin with Jake Muzzin hurt a lot too, and he was kinda like their not necessarily,
1: the anchor for them.
2: Yeah, not necessarily like, I think Morgan Riley's their best defenseman, but muzin is Muzzin's like their Dmitry Orloff, kind of the all situations guy. Then they're just getting a lot of production out of guys who they got off the scrap heap, like Michael Bunting and Andre yeah. Kasha, like it's very cheap depth and it's way more productive than what they were rolling with last year when they were shelling out first round picks for like Nick Foligno. And uh, I'm trying to remember who else is on that roster last year, but they the just have like
1: Wayne Simmons. Right. I think if I remember. And
2: yeah, like this guy, Ilya Mikheyev,
1: who yeah. like everyone seemed to like, think he was going to be good. And then just like, wasn't for whatever reason, you know?
2: Yeah. Like, uh, well, he just gets like a million chances off the rush and he scores on maybe two of them, but now they got well like andre Kosh has been producing for them tavar like and Tavares has had a really good start to the year a lot of people thought he was kind of toast last year if i remember that if i remember yeah. correctly but everything's kind of just uh everything's kind of just blown out of proportion in toronto regardless of if they're good or bad it's like Tavares has like a 50 something point year and it's like oh he's done like yeah. mm, <laughs> I, I don't know about that because yeah of people like contract aside, a bunch of teams would be willing to take John Tavares off your hands
1: yeah I think I think that is fair I think they have they have a few players that you know if they were to I think it, it's funny because I've heard that it was like uh I think it was like William Nylander everyone was like oh you know cut the ball I can't believe like he
2: put I the- swear to god like William Nylander, William Nylander could score 100 points and there's still yes. like people in Toronto that want him gone because he missed an assignment on the back check or he just did something that pissed them off. Like with the puck, I don't know. Or even...
1: he dared try to use his leverage against a team that has most of the leverage the entire time, which is, I think something that is still un It's, I mean, it's like kind of silly. I, you know, I get why I get everyone wants to be a fan of ownership for whatever reason, but I, you know, I always thought that was kind of silly. <laughs>
2: yeah. Like, like I said, at this point, like, I don't know if Toronto is better than Florida, but that's just because I've watched a lot of Florida. And I think I was about to say they're the best team in the league, but I don't know if I'm ready to go there yet, but I <laughs> really, I just love how they play and they got Bobrovsky actually playing good now. So that's something. That yeah. Works.
0: He's
1: been incredible for them this year.
2: But the only thing I, the only thing I don't like about Florida is they fall behind a lot and they, oh. they're one of those teams where it kind of just snowballs for them. It's like when it's going good, it's good. But when it's going bad, it's like, they let it snowball like one bad shift turns into two and they find themselves down like two to one in a game that they're dominating. It's kind of like Carolina a little bit.
1: Yeah. Well, as, as my, as Florida Panthers being my unofficial number two team, this is, this is very exciting. But uh, you, you got, you got Nick for the Norse this year. Or, I mean, he's been incredible No.
2: Yeah. But I mean, as of right now, I, I mean him, maybe Adam Fox, there's other guys like there's other guys too, that I think of like, Uh, It's, like, I think Meryl Haskin is probably the best defenseman in the league in terms of, like, pure skill, but the results are just over there with him. Sure. And, uh...
1: do himself many favors playing in Dallas, too.
2: Well, like, even then, like, I was... Like, I've been watching them the past week. Dallas is a team that just looks completely dead in the water for ten games and then just rises and puts themselves back into the playoff conversation when they had no business being in it. But, I don't know, like, the... He can control games better than most defensemen that I've seen. It's just that his passes go to passes go to like Luke Glendening or a guy that just flubs them or something, and it just never results in any offense. <laughs> back to Florida, like I've I've been more impressed with them than like any other team in the league, aside from maybe. A, I don't want to say like I guess Edmondson, but like Edmonton is a lot of McDavid and Drysidle, but those Yeah, like,
1: we kinda know what Edmonton so, is, right? You know.
2: Yeah, and Tampa Bay's been good. They've been Tampa Bay is hurt, so I think I mean Tampa Bay is like the undi- is probably like the undisputed king until somebody dethrones them, but they're also
1: hurt right now. Yeah. Uh, and they're so- also a team that like, you know, it's kind of like I you would think if there's a team that can kind of just sleepwalk through the regular season and just be like look let's just get in who really cares you know, that.
2: yeah i mean they beat the hell out of uh i think it was i can't remember who they beat but it was again they they didn't have point they didn't have off, and i think they didn't yeah. have Cole either and they won that game four to one it might have been seattle so expansion team whatever
0: the yeah,
1: although, although they spotted what was it? Uh, like they uh they they gave they were down or they were up three zero to the Blues last night, and they uh then they lost in a shootout there. So you know they're yeah uh, the
2: the Blues it are just a- doesn't
1: matter I think for them the like, Blues are know a where they're going to be team. they're going to be a playoff team right you know so yeah. like I think for them they probably want to fast forward to to April as much as anyone
2: yeah definitely I think Colorado's also in that group too It was like Colorado's hurt and. Colorado, they have not been the dominant team that I kind of expected them to be, which I guess is fair because I mean they did lose. Uh, I guess all they did lose was Brandon Saw. I'm trying to remember who else left. I think Donskoy, like death pieces, but still. Like,
1: I lost Grubauer, but that, that seems like that was more. Kemper, addition. yeah. <laughs>
2: yeah. Well, I mean Kemper's a good goalie. Yeah,
1: yeah, he is. As long Colorado, as he's. Colorado,
2: my problem, like my problem with the Avs right now is they just. They're beating up bad teams, and when they face a team that's just slightly above that, they just like they played Dallas the other night and got absolutely dominated in the first period.
1: Yeah, I saw. I actually caught a good piece of that game, and that was uh, that was a weird kind of style of contrast game, and it just seemed like kind of Dallas. They were. That was, it seemed like they kind of flummoxed <laughs> a little bit of whatever whatever Colorado was trying to do, particularly kind of zone entry wise. You know, the like Colorado they, they're very dependent on entering with speed, and that just kind of Dallas for no reason seemed like they, they they did a good job in that game to kind of well it is a bit, yeah.
2: yeah it is kind of what Dallas does the the problem is, is that this only works for Dallas when they have a lead. they just haven't had a lot of leads this year because they have yeah. two players who can score goals yeah. three don't you know, <laughs> play on the same line and
1: yeah when Rope hints isn't scoring or whatever
2: Hence, Robertson and
1: Pavelski yeah, you know, yeah. They, they, they struggle
2: <laughs> yeah so I I don't know but. Colorado could knock it out of the zone cleanly in that first period and they were down 3 nothing at the end of it and of it was just garbage time where they were just creating shots from the outside and Ottinger just bailed out anything that was loose yeah. so I don't I mean I think they're gonna figure it out they don't have mcKinnon right now obviously and he he looked like he looked like a heart like a heart finalist when he was healthy yeah. so I guess the smart thing to do is probably wait till he comes back and just wait till the playoffs. Cause I have a feeling standing points wise are not going to matter that much this year. It's just going to be a yeah. who doesn't.
1: Yeah. I mean, particularly out West, right. You know, you look at it and you're like, I, I mean, particularly with Vegas and Colorado, maybe not, I don't know, like both struggling a little bit. You're like, all right, is there anyone really out West that like scares you? I guess like Edmonton maybe, but at the same time, I think we kind of know very much what they're, faults are and what they aren't and you know so we'll we'll see whether well, yeah yeah
2: that's, that's exactly it the oilers should scare you but they also they didn't win a single game in a series against the winnipeg jets last year nope. so
1: no they're what they're 0 for eight or well they what okay including the bubble i guess right what, what are they like one playoff win in the last three years or something like yeah.
2: that like i mean eventually that's got to change just because like mcdavid had There's been a lot, they haven't been in as many like laughers this year, like they've had games where it's been tight and McDavid just pulls something out of his hat and wins it for them like that game against the Jets and the Rangers a few weeks ago. So I think that, I think that might matter down the line where it's like everything doesn't come as easy for them, they're less of a front running team. So we'll, we'll see how that goes. And I just, is Stuart Skinner going to be like their goalie in the playoffs? I don't know.
1: Uh, yeah.
2: <laughs> That's just yeah, how it is with the West. That's how it does with the West though. It's like, oh, I like this team, but it's like the blues. I, I've been probably like, I've been impressed with them a lot this year. They just don't win games. Nope. <laughs>
1: And that's kind of important. Maybe, maybe like we want to say the best team is like Calgary, I guess. Like, I don't know. Honestly, they're the one team I look at them like most nights and I'm like, oh, I'm impressed by what they're doing. You know,
2: honestly, they're probably the most convincing case right now. If you want to say who's like the best team in the West, like the Oilers did beat them early in the season. But Calgary, they they face inferior teams on the road and they just beat the hell out of them. Yeah.
1: Well, I mean, I was, I I caught the Boston game, right? And that was like maybe one of the more impressive, like just, they just had things on lock. And I mean, Daryl, like, it's funny, like, I, cause I I think that there's an interesting parallel you could draw with the cap in the sense of you have a coach that is really, really good at doing one thing. And, you know, Daryl Sutter and I think La Violette have a similarity in terms of being able to suppress like the other team's offense, right? And so, you look at it, you're like, all right, like, they they can do that. And then, you know, you have a formula of that plus good shooting talent, which Washington clearly has. Carol- or, uh, Calgary, you know, like, they have enough kind of top-end guys that you would think, although, I don't know, it's like, Mark, Mark, you know, Giapani going to score a gazillion goals this year. I don't know about that, I mean, but, yeah. It,
2: it helps uh, Johnny Gaudreau has been, like, maybe the third best player
1: in the league this year. Yeah, he's been unbelievable this year.
2: Yeah, he's, like... Uh, in my, uh, zone entry stats, like he is where McDavid usually is oh, wow. right corner in terms of like controlling, con- turning, turning zone entries into scoring chances. He's been like far and away the best player. Well, McDavid's right behind him, but he's been the best player in the league in that category, which is kind of unheard of. Cause that's usually ninety sevens territory right there. Yeah. Still. He's just like, they've just been, they've been really good. Like, it's hard to really dispute that, and they have the secondary scoring on the line with mangiapani and I think Coleman's on that line.
1: Yep, yep, yep.
2: They move things a guy, A guy who, just, that,
1: is a, that is a pickup that is a perfect Daryl Sutter pickup, is it not?
2: <laughs> yeah, the only thing I worry about with Calgary is that, like, the top of that roster, the, the first line is incredible. The second line really hasn't been producing that much, and the secondary scoring is kind of just Mangia Ponte and nobody else right now, but... Yeah just wonder when that dries up are they going to be as terrifying as they are right now i i don't know but they do have a goaltender which that's going to go a long way obviously
1: they do they do and they have a they have a uh, coach that i think is kind of designed to make goaltenders look good uh yeah you know, i my favorite is looking at jonathan quick stats with and without daryl sutter because they are uh, very very different Oh.
2: Yeah. And Mark Shroom, I think, is a better goalie than Jonathan Quick was. So,
1: yeah, that's uh, I don't, I don't know. You're going to get some angry Kings fans. Uh, I don't know. I don't know what are going to be listening an hour plus into a Washington Capitals podcast. But if they are, uh, you know, you'll. You get some angry tweets there, although I I, I think, you know, <laughs> I think it's there, you know, it's I think I think it's it's interesting with goalies, because that's kind of been my thing on Japers rank lately is kind of been saying, like, maybe we actually don't know anything about goaltending anymore. Anyways,
2: so. <laughs> I mean, I just look at what Carolina did. They let Nadel- they let Nadelkovic go because they didn't I guess they either didn't want to pay him or they just wanted a veteran goaltender. They get Freddie Anderson two months off an injury where it just seemed like he was never going to be healthy, and he's been... I think he's got, like, the third-best save percentage in the league right
1: now. Yep, yep. And it, we were all, like, going to write off Bob as being a $10 million disaster or whatever, and he's been probably the, your best front frontrunner at this point. So... Yeah, it's it's, yeah. Been,
2: it's been a strange season. It's kind of tough to get a gauge on. I mean, I know who the really bad teams are, but as far as, like, the elite great teams, it's kind of tough to... Like I, it's like we like what we started off the podcast with. There's just a lot of teams kind of in the same territory, which is why you're seeing so many like crazy games right now. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean that's uh and, and it's interesting, you know, because I think you, you I think it, the for the Caps like we've kind of looked at these this last little stretch as being like oh they're playing some really good teams and you know I think that they've I, you know I think that they've looked okay uh you know but you look at kind of the underlying, particularly lately and it's not been ideal particularly kind of going into the third, you know, and both teams have had chances to make adjustments. And so, you know, I don't I don't know what I think about the Caps. I mean, then again, like you would say, look, their entire second line is out right now. So maybe, maybe it, things are, things are just a little weird and we kind of, kind of need things to settle, I think as, as the year goes on.
2: Yeah, that's, that's pretty much it. I mean, with Washington's case, like you have to be happy that they're doing more than treading water with guys and with basically an AHL second line. <laughs>
1: Yep. <laughs> With Beck Malenstein getting there.
2: Yeah, exactly. It's basically what Pittsburgh's been doing for the last decade or so.
1: Yep. 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 And uh, unlike Pittsburgh, the Caps, I think are going to get some of their top guys back. So. Yeah. But, uh, all right. Well, Corey, we are at a, we're at, I think this is a new new high for us. I think we're at 70 minutes. So uh, this is, but this has been a blast. I, we always always like having you come on. So uh, where can people find you? And, uh I know you're you're doing different Patreon stuff these days. So just, what are you
2: um, you can find all my stuff at All Three Zones Sorry, my dogs are going crazy right now. But you can find uh, you can find me at allthreezones.com or at Shutdownline on Twitter. All Three Zones has a link to my Patreon and all the stats that I collect, player cards, all sorts of things I add this year for subscribers. And you can find my writing at McKean's hockey. I'm going to do an article on the caps this week, just because I've enjoyed watching them. Uh, I've enjoyed watching them pull out wins with this roster.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think we all have. So, uh, all right. And if you uh, like the show, please rate, drive, subscribe, review. Uh, I, I hope you like the show because, uh, you know, it's been going on for a while, but it's been, it's always been a blast. And, uh, if Yeah, if you like the show, uh, rate, rate, subscribe, if you, you can follow the show at at Japers Drink Radio. You can follow me at at Greg Y underscore. And uh, next week, we might have a big guest or it might be String and I, and I think they're going to be, it's going to be exciting no matter what. So uh, with that, uh, stay tuned and uh, look forward to talking to you next week.